Blog Talk Radio. Anyone charged with a criminal matter has the right to have their case heard before. A judge or judicial officer of the court is entitled to a fair and public hearing by a competent, independent and impartial court. Have strict court rules enforced such as the right of reply, rules of evidence, and be found innocent or guilty beyond reasonable doubt. Yet, our most vulnerable can have their rights, assets, and decision-making rights removed by a public servant of the state, not a judge, in a tribunal setting that can ignore evidence and facts and determine matters as they see fit and conclude matters based on probabilities alone. Are you scared yet? Good evening, everyone. This is Kaz, and I am so honored to be here tonight. I'm so excited to still be promoting Marty Oakley and carrying the torch of her voice. We of this year, but we are carrying on. Marty is not being silenced. This topic would have been so exciting for Marty because she talked about it and had to deal with it so much. We are bringing... Dana Diaz to our show tonight. Dana, say hello to everyone. Hello, everybody. Thank you so much for having me. We are so excited to uh, talk about this topic. First, we have a real quick, um, a real quick like public service announcement. We are seeing in the back of the house that we are getting a lot of listeners from Canada, and we are passing on that if you are listening from Canada, you are not alone. Your listenership is like something's going on in the last few weeks. Your laws are closer to the laws in Australia than the United States, even though we are right next door neighbors. And you can reach out at www.aasgaa.org, and that is the Australian Association of Staff Guardianship and Administrative Abuse. They are a big sponsor of the show tonight, and they can be a really good service for you to answer questions because your laws are similar in Canada as they are in Australia. And so they are ready to answer your questions. So please reach out to them. Further ado, we're going to get on to this topic. So I have a list of questions. I'm so excited. We're going to, we have um, not a lot of time and there's so much to talk about. But first, Dana, you are such an expert on this topic. And I know there's many different types of narcissists. Could you just let the audience know what are the different types? You know what, there's actually a debate as to how many types of narcissists there are. Some say there's five, some they say there's 14, but there's definitely a very extensive list of narcissistic qualities that they can have. Um, but the two main types that I have dealt with, and they're pretty prominent, um, we, your basic narcissist, of course, there's nothing basic about them, but it's an overt narcissist, and everybody knows somebody like this. Um, this is somebody who is very vocal about, um, you know, what they have, um, how they look, they're the best, they know everything, you can't tell them anything they don't know, and they uh, just think almost too, they exalt themselves so nobody else has to. But these are the people that have to have the Rolex watch and the name brand clothes and the biggest house and the most expensive car. And, you know, they're the status people. They're very showy and very outward about, um, you know, the, their superiority above everybody else. Um, then the other type, which I've also dealt with a lot, is a covert narcissist. So these are the unsuspecting ones. They are still going to, you know, demean you and humiliate you and insult you and achieve their exaltation from you, their, their admiration that they're looking for. But they're going to appear more pitiful, um, even humble at times to where you actually feel sorry for them. Um, and I call this, and this is unfortunately, my book is about my experience in a 25-year relationship and marriage to one of these 
I call it the Eeyore complex. It's Winnie the Pooh from Eeyore. You know how he always walk around with his head hung really low and nothing yeah. good ever happens for me. And, you know, this boo-hoo personality, yet, yet, they're very duplicitous. They are also behind closed doors with the person that they are targeting. They are gaslighting you. They are manipulating situations, manipulating your thoughts, manipulating your actions in order to achieve that praise and, and that, you know, those feelings that, that they need from you to feel important and to feel better than you. Um, it, you know, it's just a nasty, nasty uh, quality to have as a human, but, you know, they're intentionally causing harm to people, which is, you know, the big problem because, Unfortunately, you can be a narc. Well, I shouldn't say unfortunately. I should say fortunately. Um, there are narcissists that are out there that aren't bothering anyone. They're they're narcissists and they're fine. And some of them actually do look as good as they think they look. And you can't hate on them for that. And you love their self esteem. Some are funny. They make you laugh, but they're not bothering you with it. Uh, so when we're talking tonight, I'm speaking about the narcissistic. Uh, people that are actually abusing you. And when I call it abuse, I'm calling it intentionally causing you harm, intentionally causing mental harm or physical harm. And, and this also comes with there's financial abuse involved, especially if you're married to one like I was. There's sexual abuse involved. And I will argue the point that there can be sexual abuse even in a marriage. Um, read my book. Um, you know, there's all kinds of dis different aspects, so it's very complex. You know, I, I almost wish it was as simple as physical abuse or verbal abuse and, and some of these other types of abuses that happen in domestic situations. It's, yeah, it's disgusting. And I know a lot of us, uh, what we've experienced with narcissists is usually there's one in the family and there's another saying that I've always heard is there's always a Judas in every family. So you're going to find out who the Judas is and they don't really care what they do to their own siblings or I mean to anyone, but we also see it on a professional level. And I know you've mentioned about the malig what is it? the malignant narcissist. What is that? Mm -hmm. Sometimes I feel that is more of well, a professional. Right. And, you know, in any aspect, you know, narcissists are everywhere because people are everywhere. So narcissistic relationships, it can be anybody, you know, um, you know, so it, yes, it does happen in the workplace. It happens in friendships. It happens in, in parent child relationships, romantic, really, it can be in any relationship. The malignant narcissist is the one I'm talking about. The one that's, you know, actually, trying to cause trouble basically for you. They, they smear your name. They try to ruin your life. Um, you know, I've had one in the past few years that has been, you know, causing financial issues, you know, for my husband and I, as far as affecting our, our professional uh, reputations and such. So, I mean, some of them just go for blood. I, I always say it's kind of like if it, the uh -huh. malignant narcissist is kind of like a tumor. Like you can have a tumor and it can be benign. Like I said, there are some narcissists that aren't bothering you. They're just narcissists, just like a benign tumor. It's there. It's not bothering you. But a malignant narcissist, it's literally like a, an actual narcissist. You know, it, it's, it's it's going to be a problem it, it, and it can kill you. And, and that's the reality of it that people don't realize is, you know, like I got out of my situation, but even after the divorce, that was when it became most violent. That's when I was most afraid for my life. And some people actually don't make it out or they don't make it, you know, out alive and, and that's what we worry about and so that's why we want to call attention to this so that people can you know recognize that they're in a situation that if they can safely get out of it you know and especially with their children if there's children involved or if people see a situation that they're not sure but you know they think somebody might need help then 
you know, we want people to be aware of what it looks like because unfortunately, even in abusive situations, and I've, I've had four def- decades of abuse, uh, you know, to recall experience on, you know, you're still going to the kids' t-ball games with cakes and you're smiling and you're not telling anybody because you know that if you say something, you're going to face the consequences when you get back home. And, and that's the last thing you want. You want to keep peace as much as you can. I know you said it like a lot of the narcissists, they like to isolate people. They stalk people yeah. and they, they blame, they'll blame you for stuff that you didn't do and leave you terrified for your life. Um, what were some examples of that. of that that happened? Because that's <laughs> just like, oh my God, this is a serious thing. It is. And you know, the, the thing about it is that a lot of people say, oh, I would never let somebody tell me or I would not let, never let somebody, you know, rule over my life. Well, believe me, I mean, anybody that knows me knows I'm very strong willed and there's no way in heck I'm going to let anybody tell me what to do without giving them a piece of my, you know, mouth on that one. But They do it in a way that, I mean, they know you. They're very perceptive. They know exactly how to manipulate you, what to say, what to do. And if they have to involve threat in it, they will. But the isolation, you know, again, this is all very insidious. So the isolation is like for me, um, you know, it was, oh, let's move out further away from the city, away from, okay, but that's where all my, you know, friends and family are. Oh, but it'll be more peaceful. Let's just take a chance, you and me against the world. Okay, so then I find myself 90 miles away from all friends and family, including his, in the middle of nowhere is what it felt like to me. And if there's anyone listening that lives near me, I'm sorry, but you know, to me, this is Podunk, USA, compared to where I grew up in Chicago. But, you know, <laughs> very far away. And then when I'd make friends, he didn't like those friends. He's, he'd make it very difficult um, if I tried to have a friend or, you know, would have a friend come over. Very nasty to me, to friends, family. You know, eventually we're not even going to anything on my side of the family. No holidays, no parties, nothing. I can't go out with friends because there's always an issue if I do, whether it's guilt or just an outright fight about it. So then you just want to keep the peace. You just stop having friends. Then it's I'm talking on the phone with the friends in the house. Well, he doesn't like me talking on the phone because it's disrupting his TV watching. If I go in another room to talk on the phone, then it's, well, what are you hiding? Why do you have to go in another room with the door closed? So then I go outside on the porch to talk to my friends on the phone, and then he's coming out yelling, who are you effing? Are you talking to somebody that you're screwing? And it's like, no, I'm talking to my friend. Well, you're probably screwing her. Okay, so then I just stop talking to friends on the phone. You know what I mean? And then I'm texting. And so then every time my phone buzzes, well, who are you texting? Are you screwing them? Are you, so you see what I'm saying? You eventually just, I mean, yeah. I was in this relationship for 25 years. I I just wanted the fighting to stop. So you just stop doing things. It's not about being submissive. It's just you want some freaking sanity. So <laughs> you find yourself stopping, and that's just friends and family. And then it creeps into all these other parts of your life where there's all these rules. You know you shouldn't do this. You shouldn't do that. That'll upset them. Oh, that'll really upset them. I better not wear that. I better not do that. I better not cook that. If I buy that, oh, my God, he'll say, how much was it? And I can't spend money on me. Only he's allowed to spend money. So you end up in just this vicious cycle, just basically – trying to keep peace for more for yourself and then when there's children involved that's a whole other level of you know trying to be tolerant and and, you know excusing and going along with things just because these are your kids now so I mean it it just is but they know what they're doing and they're doing it on purpose because they cannot risk somebody or something influencing you 
you know, to leave them or giving you knowledge or even finding resources. You cannot have that friend or that mother or that sister telling you, get the hell out of that relationship. You cannot have confidence. You cannot have people that you might tell what's really happening. So the isolation is extremely important to a narcissist. Oh, my gosh. I know you also talked about, like, one of their one of their keys that they start and I do believe like guardians do this to their victims, to their wards in the same way. And you talked about love bonding. Yes. Well, yes, because people will say, well, how did you end up with somebody? He sounds like, you know, this or that or the other thing. And you have to, you know, (laughs) you have to think like, I'm not trying to go out on the street and like go on a date with Chucky, you know, like some guy that's running around with a colorful striped sweater and a butcher knife and disheveled hair. Not my type. Like I, I would, that's a red flag to me. So I probably wouldn't have even given him a second look. So these narcissists are people that, yes, they are charming. They're funny. They are dressed nicely. They look, you know, you know, people Mm -hmm. think they're great. And that's the most frustrating part of it is because then you get involved. And when they know they, man, that's when it starts. But again, it's little stuff, you know, it's that little outburst of anger. And then it's like, oh, I'm sorry. I just had a bad day. Okay. Well, that's We all have bad days. And then the next time it's another excuse. And it, but every time, they push their boundaries just a little bit further because you've excused this so far. So next time they're going to go a little bit further than this. And the next time after that, a little bit further. But every time they, it's kind of like fishing, like you throw the line out and then you reel them back in because they know that they're going to push, you know, push you away a little bit with their behavior and, and, you know, the controlling and the fighting and the accusing and the, the gaslighting and all the stuff. And, you know, when there's physical stuff too. I mean, that's obvious that you would not want to be in that situation. But then, you know, like with my ex, we'd sit down and watch TV and he'd caress my cheek very softly and look at me with these adoring eyes and tell me how much he loves me. And he's sorry. He's just so passionate about me that he just gets that that angry as, as much as he loves me that much. And, you know, just all this stuff. And, the problem is when you're already in the situation, you know, you don't want to just walk away and, and just throw the time and, and everything away. Plus, people don't understand. Your, your families are intertwined. If you've had children with them, if you live with them, you know, you have financial obligations together. You, you know, it's not as easy as people think, like, just, oh, yeah, I'm just going to up and walk away. I mean, even pets, you know, at one point I did not actually put um, pets in the book because I just didn't have enough room. The book was long enough, but I had a very, very ill bloodhound dog um, that I loved very much, but she had epilepsy. She would have, you know, up to a dozen seizures a day. I couldn't leave and leave her there. You know, and then she had lymphoma, so the cancer on top of that. I was not leaving her and my son. Like, I wasn't just going to get up and walk out. So, you know, people have to remember there's all these factors. It sounds nice. Like, yeah, it's really bad. I'm I'm afraid for my life. I'm just going to get up and walk out of here. But it's, in reality, it doesn't work that way. And they do instill fear in you. You know that if you leave, they are going to be out there stalking you, intimidating you. And, and and that certainly did happen to me. And again, some people get out, but they're not out very long and they don't end up living very long. So, you know, it's it's a very, it's a tough situation to be in. Um, very stressful, very hard on your body and your emotions. Uh, it just, it, it's exhausting, honestly, because you're constantly having to, you know, evaluate every situation, evaluate moods, evaluate threats, figure out who's going to do what next so you can figure out your next move. And then, you know, like I said, if you've got animals, kids, all this other stuff, you're going to work, you're trying to manage just everyday life it's it's overwhelming 
This sounds exactly like people who are fighting guardianship. They're trying to live their everyday life, and they've just got these, you know, narcissists attacking them in, in you know, different ways. One thing that I thought was an aha moment was um, in your book, you talked about physical negative impact. Like, you you actually can not just be mentally, like, extreme, but actual physical it, – it actually affects your physical well-being. Like yeah. What happens yes. physically? Well, the mind and body connection, people don't understand. It's not some like holistic or hoodoo voodoo stuff. It is very real, very real. Um, you know, like in my childhood, and, and, you know, we don't have to delve into that too much, but, you know, I had headaches and stomach aches constantly and I was a victim of child abuse I you know my narcissistic stepfather verbally and physically abused me and you know that was just the tip of the iceberg but I mean it was debilitating like I remember being at summer camp like just huddled against a tree like holding my stomach because I couldn't play with the other kids because my head was pounding and my stomach was just in so much pain so you know, here I am, you know, in my 40s after four decades of being abused by multiple people, it just got to the point where it was around 2016 or 2017, I just started having these random physical symptoms. So, yes, a lot of headaches, a lot of stomach issues. But I was also having, like, blurred vision, but, like, I would, like, black out completely. Um, you know, it even happened when I was driving once, which was pretty scary because, uh, you know, yeah. And, and fortunately, I was fine, but, you know, the person in the car with me wasn't exactly excited about that and never went in the car with me again. And I don't blame them because it could have been bad. But, you know, these are very, I don't want to say they're they're minor, but little things but then as time went on it was like my hands my hands would be I mean I can't even describe the stiff pain in my hands where I couldn't even tear toilet paper off the roll and it's such a simple thing but you know I remember crying after it happened the second or third time because I'm like I'm in my early 40s. I should be able to, you know, wipe myself. It's a basic thing. I'm not ready for somebody to have to do that for me. And, you know, I'm not even trying to be funny, but you have to think about that. Like, you know, in my heart, I was having heart issues like arrhythmia, um, very low heart rate, um, a lot of neurological stuff going on that was affecting my vision and, you know, my breathing and just all kind. I was dizzy all the time just for no reason. I mean, I could go on and on. It was so many random symptoms. I started with my family doctor. Oh, we have no idea what's going on. You know, it's probably just anxiety. Okay, well, oh, reasonable. Okay. You know, other doctors were saying I'm a hypochondriac or I'm hypersensitive to my body. Yeah, I'm a little hypersensitive to my body, but then as time went on, you know, it, like urinary frequency came out of nowhere. Nobody believed me. And then so I started marking down every day. I was averaging, averaging, going pee 14 times an hour for no reason. That is not normal. That's not normal for a healthy, active, early 40s woman. Like, it's just not normal. So, again, all these random symptoms, long and short of it, finally get with a doctor that gets me to do a sleep study with a sleep neurologist. The sleep neurologist said, I know exactly what's wrong with you. And he ran the tests and everything, and lo and behold, um, my blood work was actually sent to Mayo Clinic. Mayo Clinic said we got to redo it because they said we think we compromised the sample because there's no way that the results are what they came out to be. Well, we redid the test, and guess what? The results were that high. They were, there was no compromised sample. So my cortisol, and for those that don't know what cortisol is, I call it like the sister hormone to adrenaline. So like when you're in, you know, like a survival or like scared moment, your adrenaline shoots into your body. 
cortisol gives you that same feeling, except it's when you're under stress, not like fighting for your life stress like adrenaline, but just, I guess, regular everyday stress. I had so much cortisol pumping into my body at like astronomically high levels for so long of a period of time, it actually turned my body against itself, depleted. Well, my body basically thought it was fighting like a cancer, depleted my white blood cells, so there was nothing left to fight everything else, turned my body autoimmune, and I end up with this lung syndrome called upper airway resistance syndrome. It is ironically, and I'm not sure why, classified as a sleep disorder, however, it is the doctor says it's like having COPD and fibromyalgia all at the same time. So if all of this that I just said resonates with anybody, think about that. Fibromyalgia, your muscles are stiff, you're tired, you're literally like exhausted. COPD, you can't breathe, you're coughing, you're dizzy, you know, and then all this other autoimmune stuff. I was a damn wreck. And within two weeks um, in 2018, and I remember the dates even, I dropped to 93 pounds. I dropped a tremendous amount of weight in two weeks. And 93 pounds, even for, I, I am a small person, but, I mean, I was skeletal. And, I mean, I, my skin was gray. Everywhere I went, people are looking at me like something is, like I'm a freak. And it started making me, like, you know, self-conscious. Like, you know, I, I worried about yeah. me, too. And, you know, one more appointment with the doctor, and this was November 2018, and he sat me down and he said, Dana, your body's shutting down. He's like, all of your organs, your major organ systems are at the base minimal levels that they can be to survive. He says, your body's doing everything it needs just to keep your lungs breathing to keep your heart beating. Other than that, he's like, that's why you don't work. That's why you cannot move without looking like a 100-year-old person. He's like, that's why you're so tired. Your body's not even trying to work. It's just trying to breathe and keep your heart beating, kind of like a generator. Like, it's out of everything. It's just trying to keep me going. And he said, if you don't change, he's like, we could give you pills for symptoms, but you know, this pill, that pill, you know, that would have been chaos. He's like, you need to change your life circumstances. And and that was his way of telling me, you know, be done with this guy. He'd been telling me for many years in his own ways that I needed to be out of that relationship. But, you know, I, I thought I had to try. I thought I had to stay for my son. I had, you know, religious beliefs that made me feel like I had to give it everything and try harder and, and, and just deal with it. But when you're faced with, do I want to live, especially like this, and with a man who wants me dead anyway, or do I just go against everything I believe in and everything that I thought was and and see what happens <laughs> I opted for the the path that's not usually traveled, and and I decided, okay, it's time to be done, like done, done. Except the problem was he felt me pulling away. Um, He felt that I wasn't trying anymore. I mean, honestly, and, and people that will read the book or have read the book, you'll see towards the end, there's definitely a change in me because even just the way I responded to him, you know, I wasn't even trying to hide the fact that I was over it. Like I wasn't, I didn't even look at him, like whatever he said, the outrageous things he would say and do, I was just like, whatever, that's fine. Like, <laughs> you know, what do you want, yeah. a parade? Like, I'm not, I don't care, go away. Like, <laughs> I'm good. <laughs> but I mean, but well, it's terrible know. because people don't realize that, that a life like that really can kill you. Yeah, I that to me is a big wake-up call, just the amount of stress that so many of our listeners are going through with so much that they're going through, always dealing with these narcissists and gaslighters. But you know what the positive is? Is we are the people we are based on everything that we've been through. And you are going to be, unfortunately, you went through terrible, terrible things, but it's going to make a difference. And we have a caller. Let's see. They've been waiting for a little bit. Let's see if we can get them through. We have area code. 
Okay, area code 703, you're live and on the air. Hello, I'm sorry. I didn't unmute. Can you hear me? We can hear you. Hi. Um, Hey, Cos. Is this Marcel? Is this Marcel? This is Marcel. Oh, you have a different phone number. I didn't recognize. Thank you so much for calling in. Absolutely. I I just wanted to um, ask Dana two questions. Um, Sure. So one is, um, I work with whistleblowers, and a lot of them describe all of the symptoms that you're discussing, except it's even worse for them in one aspect only. They don't have a particular person they can name this on, that they can point to and say, this is the cause. Um, of what's going on with me. It would be great, um, and I don't mean that in any disrespectful way, if they could just identify someone to be angry at, but they can't, and so they bottle it up, and it's all turned inward. And they struggle with that, the palpitations, the cortisol releases. Yes. Um, And it's just so, so difficult for them. And it's it difficult, is. very difficult, because what happens um, when you're married to someone is at least you know you're married. What happens to them is they think they were telling the truth, and the blowback from truth is not recognition, but this attack from all of these places that they're unfamiliar with. So there isn't anyone that they can get away from. And I was just wondering some coping techniques perhaps you have for that. And the other is, yeah. do, do sure. you listen to someone or have you heard of someone called um, H.G. Tudor? I have heard that name. I have read and heard so many people over the many years. So, yeah, I have heard the name, but I can't speak to anything specifically that that person has said. Did you want to share something? Oh, um, no, he was just, he's a narcissist. He's a self-proclaimed narcissist. And he talks about traits of narcissists. You know, and it was one of the right. people I know that told me about H.G. Tudor. I'd never heard of him before. Yeah, but. there's a lot of, with social media especially, there's a lot of self-proclaimed narcissists. And I'll be honest with you, it's just my personal opinion. I don't pay much attention to them. <laughs> okay. okay. I just, well, I don't want to give my energy to people that I feel are, that's very narcissistic to ride on the narcissistic bandwagon and try to monetize and gain fame and attention. So, yeah. That is true. I've heard of him. Well, thank you yeah, but the coping mechanisms, I mean, this is something that is important because this is for everybody, you know, anybody that's, you know, even if it's not a narcissistic situation, you know, we all need a release, and, and that's the most important part. Um, you know, the things that worked for me, you know, especially since I was very isolated, I didn't really have anybody that I could even confide in or talk to. You know, obviously I'm a writer, you know, I I have a degree in journalism, so I've just always been a writer. So for me, it was even just if I had a moment's time, I even remember sobbing, crying, I mean, like hysterical crying and just getting a piece of paper and just freely, and I mean very freely, just writing every thought that was running through my head, even if it was not polite, if they were nasty words, you know, and I'm just going to say it. There were, I wanted, I wanted him to die. I wanted him to drive out the end of our driveway on his motorcycle and for somebody to run his ass over. (laughs) I am not going to apologize for how I feel, but freely writing my thoughts without monitoring them for, you know, the conscientiousness and if it's polite or if it makes me feel bad or good, I just put my thoughts on paper. And it just, it it was the same as if you're going to therapy and talking to somebody or talking to, you know, a, a close friend or family member, it released, it got it out of my heart, so to speak. 
and afterward I would either rip it up, crumple it up. There were a few times, you know, we lived in the country. So for me, I'd take it out back to the fire pit and, and burn it. And for me, there was something very healing in burning those words, you know, maybe it was a symbolic thing, but you know, for me, the writing helped music also helped tremendously. I would go out on a lot of walks because that I was allowed to do. I just couldn't leave a tread around our, our backyard because that made him mad. But as long as I wasn't leaving a tread, you know, floating over the grass, I would walk and I would listen to music because oftentimes it doesn't even matter what kind of music you listen to. There are just times, and even for me, you know, being a writer and, and loving words, I can't always put those words together exactly as I feel. And music has a way of doing that where you just hear a certain song that just resonates with you forever or that just speaks to your soul about, you know, something or somebody you know, there. everybody has those songs and, and sometimes just going and getting a good cry or just getting your energy out walking that really, for me, the walking was a big thing because it, it exerted that energy that I would otherwise be, you know, just fuming inside building up that anger because I don't think it serves any purpose to be angry at anybody. I don't think you need to be angry at somebody. You know, I can honestly say I'm not angry at my ex. I feel nothing for him, um, honestly. But I have to worry about me. I want to focus my energy at how do I get better? How do I get healthier mentally, physically, so that I can move forward in the world and move on with my life and not worry about, you know, all this other stuff that happened? Does that make any sense? Absolutely. Thank you very much. Yeah. Oh, you're so Thank helpful. You. Thank you so much. Thank you, Marcel. All right. I'm Thank gonna... you. All right. Marcel is so wonderful. I put her, Marcel, hit one again if you want to talk some more. Marcel is one of our um, one of our supporters here, and she runs the Whistleblower Summit, and she is also the founder of Acorn 8. She is a very dynamic woman, and I'm so excited that she has also become one of my really amazing friends. Oh, we have another caller here. Um, quick, okay. I'm going to ask a quick question, then we'll let the caller through. Um, what is the difference between a narcissist and a gaslighting? Well, a narcissist is a person. It's a, it's a person that, you know, has the narcissistic qualities. Gaslighting is when somebody basically tells you that what you have heard, what you have, have experienced, uh, you know, any part of your reality that it's not true. Um, it actually came from an old movie from like the 1920s or 30s where a man was flickering the lights on purpose. And every time his wife would say, oh, I think the lights are flickering again. There must be something wrong with the electricity. He would say, no, there's not. There, the lights aren't flickering. Nothing's wrong. And so it, she, uh -huh. eventually, over time, she thought she was going crazy. And that's basically what gaslighting does is to make you think you're crazy. And narcissists want to control you and manipulate you so that you are basically serving their needs and, and trapped you know, in a situation with them. So gaslighting is something they do. It's a tactic they use, you know, to basically make you believe you're nuts so that they can tell you what's real and what you heard and what you saw and what you think. It, it, it eventually controls you. You eventually give up and doubt everything you think and just agree to go along with what they say. Well, that's super scary. All right. We're getting at a caller. We have Area code 858. Let's see if I can get up the move. Thank you very much oh. for uh, addressing this. Eight. Hi. Hello. Oh, Eric, code 858, you're on. Lisa. Hi, thank you. Um, yeah, uh, Lisa. And I just want to say I, I think it's such an important topic that very few people really understand because we're not educated about this in school. And our parents didn't really know or understand how to explain it or, you know, I know there were old movies like Gas Lamp uh, with Ingrid Bergman and all that that right. go way back into the 1940s. But there's such an important, it's so important for people to understand this because it is affecting people in our society 
and we see these people wander around and they're like wounded birds. They're very uh, fearful and they're very um, easily um, stressed and anxious. And, um, and, And before I had this experience of coming into contact with my own situation with my ex, um, I, I was did not understand what could have caused that kind of behavior where they were afraid to get too close to anybody. They push people away. They're suspicious of people, and they're very uh, wounded. You could see that they're very wounded. And it's it's important for everybody to understand that there are people around us that are targets of these these predators because they are predatory. They will look for yeah. people and they target certain victims to get something that they want. It could be money, it could be sex, uh, sexual gratification, it could be just freeloading off of someone so they don't have yeah. to work. Um, there's you so hit the many nail on the reasons. head with that. They, I addressed that in my book. I noticed very early on, I said, I felt like I was a utility to him. I was serving to, to fulfill some, some wish he had, and I felt it. And that is exactly what you just described, and that's exactly right. And they know how to look for what they want in people because they are phenomenal at reading people. And I was targeted by my ex because here I had come out of an abusive childhood and I left that childhood home. I was like, there is no way anybody's ever going to mistreat me. Nobody's ever going to lay their fingers on me ever again in my life, not having it. You know, I didn't have a choice. When you're a kid, you can't just walk out. But I'm like, never again. But you know what? Being born to a mother that didn't want me and who remained emotionally distant from me and who allowed her husband to abuse me, what did that turn me into? That turned me into a codependent because all I want, when your own mother cannot love you and you are told that every day that nobody's ever going to love you, you're not smart enough, you're not skinny enough, you're not good enough for anything, you go out into the world thinking, I just want somebody to love me. And boy, that's like putting me on a silver plate to a narcissist because all that narcissist had to do was say, I'll love you and here's how you get it. Because I thought I had to earn it because that's what my parents conditioned me to to think. And so now I ended up with a narcissist who likes servitude and here I was willing to give it because I thought that was what was going to get me love. It's a sick and disgusting cycle, but they know exactly what they're doing, and they do prey on people, and they take advantage of it. Yeah. Sorry. I and got a little heated things... there. You hit a nerve there. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's, I, I totally understand. The other thing they do is they cultivate individuals and groups and institutions that can help them achieve their agenda. So and they groom. Yes, oh, they yeah. Groom, yeah, it and comes they from that word, the cultivate. Yes, they do. They will use, and that's why you find a lot of narcissists in leadership positions, number one, because they do take charge and take control very well, but they put themselves in high positions in society or in communities, you know, so that they do have that influence over people, and people, for some reason, blindly just think they have this title or they have this reputation it's okay to follow them it's okay to listen to them they're wonderful they're generous they're charitable look at them and then yes then you get these cults and and i'm talking about government cults cults of you know we have cliques of forgive me but you know people in law enforcement and what have you and and i and forgive me because i have the utmost respect my dad is actually not my, not my stepfather who is abusive, but my actual father, my biological father, is a retired Chicago cop. And, and there's many wonderful people in uniform, but there are some, unfortunately, that purposely go into those positions because they know that those authority positions will give them more opportunities to enact the things that they want to do, and, and it's disgusting. But they also use the court system. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And they use the court system to their advantage. So they play the courts 
and they play yeah. people's naivete that do not understand what they are and that they're exploiting these these authoritarian institutions. They exploit them to turn against the target victim as well. So yeah. everybody, you know, turns against the victim. They try to get support for their cause, and it's like they're very single-minded. They just want to to damage and destroy the target, and so they will do that at all. Like, they'll just focus so much on that. It seems like they have an inordinate amount of time and attention to focus on the victim. They do. I always call it they need to find something better to do because it is an exhausting amount of time and planning to (laughs) carry out all the things that they do. And I'm laughing about it because I have to. I I don't even have that much time to plan my own life, like (laughs) you know, but they they really I've unfortunately been a narcissist magnet, but. You know, so the one book is going to end up being a trilogy. I have two more books in the works about two other narcissists I've had the pleasure of dealing with in my life um, that have caused major damage. But um, everything you have said is completely right on, and I'm just sorry that you've had these experiences. But, you know, certainly I can speak about the court experiences, too. Like, I, I had the experiences that I put in my book, but... You know, by the time I did have the the courage to go to the authorities, I was turned away. I was denied an order of protection. You don't seem to be in danger, the, the judge said. You know, there was never, she goes, if it was that bad all these years, then why didn't you file a report before? Um, because he probably would have killed me if I called the police because I was scared. I could not risk that, especially since we live in a small town and everybody knows everybody. And even though things are supposed to be confidential, there's more likelihood it's not going to be when you live in a small town. So, no, I wasn't going to risk that. You know, and even after he shot a gun outside of my bedroom window after threatening me, I was still denied an order of protection and had to actually go to court with witnesses and fight it. And I could have been dead that night. I could have been dead at any time. I had to actually bring into the court an email that said that he had written to me saying that this, all this, uh, you know, divorce stuff was so hard on him that it would just be easier if I was dead or if one of us was dead, however he put it, but the implication was he wished I was dead. What else do I need to tell this court before I get some help from the authorities? And you know, the night he shot the gun outside my window, the authorities came. I had six squad cars. I did call the cops finally. It was the very first time I'd ever called the cops on him, and they didn't take him away. They didn't arrest him. They didn't charge him. They said, "Mm, nothing we can do. He says he didn't do it. That's what I was told. Well, they're very convincing. They're very convincing, and they convince the authorities because they don't look dangerous. So nobody really tends to believe you if they don't look like Jack Nicholson in The Shining. Yeah. Oh, I love that movie. I always use Chucky as the reference, but yes, Jack Nicholson in The Shining, but it's the same thing, the crazy hair and the, yeah, the... The, the snarly smile. Yeah, it's a great movie, though. Only if they look like that do they, get, do they seem to be a problem. If they look normal and, with a button-down shirt and they're wearing a suit mm-hmm. and a tie, they don't, that, nobody it, suspects. Right. And, and to, to tag along on that, nobody believes the victim because you know how many people, even still after the fact, said, well, you didn't look like anything was wrong because I wasn't walking around yeah, with crazy hair and, you know, bruises on my eyes. I wasn't visibly broken. So, you know, I'm being victim shamed because I didn't look the part. You know, he's supposed yeah. to look like Jack Nicholson and I'm supposed to look like Bride of Chucky. Well, you know, that's not nor- in normal society. We don't actually want people to look at us that way because people do judge. But it's wrong to have the wrong judgment that, oh, I must be making this all up. Nobody believes me because, you know, I look fine. I've even had people say, 
well, you don't look sick. You don't look like anything's wrong with you. Yeah, it's called mm-hmm. makeup and putting clothes on that match and combing my damn hair. But forgive me, that's really ignorant to shame people that have been brave enough to speak up about things that, you know, you usually don't talk about in polite society and that it takes a lot of courage to speak out about and then to make them feel bad. So I just, I don't know, I don't care anymore. I'm just saying everything because there's too many people that, you know, are in the position that I was in and that many, there's so many people that don't even realize that their situations are, you know, they're not alone and they think they are, but you know, we get it and and we need to reach them and let them know there's some, you know, other life waiting for them on the other side, that it can be okay if we can get them out safely. But we do need to have changes in our, you know, justice system for sure. And and every country, that's the other thing, has different laws about it. So that's the frustrating part too. Wow. We are, we just have a few minutes left. This has been such an amazing topic. We have, we, I know it's going by fast. We have a full board. So many people, so many people have been tuning in. And I know that you have said that you are always available to listen. So before we run out of time, will you please tell everyone how we can get your books, how we can connect with you on social media, and what are some more books that are coming up? And also, I know how busy you have been on. You've been on the book tour. We are just so grateful that you've been on tonight. But, yeah, let us know how we can find out more about you. Yes, absolutely, and thank you for having me on, and thank you for everybody who's called in. Even if we didn't get to your calls, they're very important. So um, for the book, Gasping for Air, The Stranglehold of Narcissistic Abuse, you can buy it anywhere online. I know we all order Amazon. Amazon's at my house like every day. You can get it there, ebook or uh print copy paperback otherwise if you go to my website dana s diaz.com it's d-a-n-a-s-d-i-a-z.com there is a link to buy the book on there and you can also click to get onto my facebook or instagram from there i have a blog i have other i've i've been on at least two dozen podcasts we try to post them as they're released on the website under press room um, this interview will be on there as well but my social media i'm on facebook and instagram dana s diaz author and please if your call did not get answered today just because we're out of time message me um, on any of those platforms or respond i know there were some posts on social media about this show you know, definitely post under there, tag me in it, just say Dana S. Diaz and ask the question. I'm more than happy to answer them as I get them. I was excited to find you on Facebook, so hopefully you're going to have some new followers added. This has been such an amazing topic. I'm so excited that you came on quick. We're going to talk about our sponsors, and I have one last question. So our sponsors are Marcel Reed of Whistleblow Summit, who called in. Marcel, it's amazing. Thank you, Marcel. We also have the Australia Association to Stop Guardianship and Administrative Abuse. We have the National Association to Stop Guardianship Abuse, and we also have the Shenanigans in the Montgomery County Facebook page. Those are our sponsors, and they have continued to sponsor our show even after Marty has passed away. So we are very honored for the support that everyone has continued to give us to carry Marty's amazing legacy. Um, Last question, when we have just a few minutes, how do you recover? Because you have recovered like nobody's business. The fact that you turned around and wrote a book, I mean, he's got to be a little annoyed with you. But how do you how do you break through? You broke free. And, like, you recovered because so many people, I mean, the physical illnesses that you have been through, there are so many people that are listening right now. They are going through that, and there needs to be hope and recovery. And how would you do it? Oh, my God. I don't know if I could explain all that in minutes, but <laughs> here's what I did. I realized that I needed to love myself. All along, I mean, I was looking for love externally, um, you know, to be given to me, to validate me. When I finally realized I was the one that needed to love myself, I started little. I always like tangible things to offer people because they seem silly, but I promise you, you have to just start with you. So I would start with like one 
you know, going back to my friends and people that brought joy and positivity in my life, I looked at, I mean, it, it sounds so silly, but like my husband and I, like we w- like watching like little animal, funny animal videos, like, you know, cats, you know, whacking each other and, you know, rolling around mm-hmm. or falling up. I don't know. It's silly, but laughing, whatever brings you humor, you know, pull out some old videos or watch some old shows. The dating game's always a good one. The old original ones, they're they're hysterical. But laughing, just get back in touch with yourself. You know, I tell people, like, I started with, like, hey, I could eat whatever I wanted for dinner. I could wear whatever I wanted. I didn't have him telling me I couldn't read or I couldn't listen to this music or that. Whatever brings joy into your soul, do it. For me, I wore that red lipstick that he told me I looked like a Christmas whore in. He said it was red like a Christmas whore or something. I wore it because it made me happy. I painted my nails red. He'd have my nails painted. I wore clothes I wanted to wear. I listened to music I wanted to listen to. I did things that fed my soul. That is so important. Then when you're ready to heal and really dive into what you're, you know, having to resolve, I think you have to stop worrying about hating the other person or forgiving the other person. There's so much focus on this. You need to forgive yourself. You need to forgive yourself for whatever led you there, for whatever, you know, get to the root of that. Figure yourself out. That other person put the burden of their, you know, insecurities and their their bad behaviors and all this stuff on you. Give that back to them and deal with what's really at the root of, you know, like for me, honestly, it was my mother wound. It, it You know, when your own mother doesn't love you, I don't know, it's just such a damaging thing to your soul that affects you the rest of your life. But I went through some therapy and I am not a fan of traditional talk therapy. I did writing therapy and I, I, I healed my, like I said, I just... Every little whim, if I wanted butter pecan ice cream for dinner, I ate a pint of it. Like, it's it's fine. I, I just, you have to just take care of you and everything else will follow. And I do have to give credit, though. And, and I know this sounds like lovey-dovey stuff, but, you know, I'm not telling everybody go get a man or a woman. I just had, you know, a friend that is now my very dear husband if I didn't have him, I'd probably still be in fetal position in the corner crying. But if you have somebody, uh-huh. it doesn't have to be a romantic relationship, but somebody to just be there, you know, not to necessarily pump you up or be your cheerleader, although that does help, but just somebody that, you know, like with my husband, for me, it was, for me, it's simple stuff. Just when I was having a bad moment or triggered or just having a low day, all he has to do is hold me, and he's extremely tall, so my ear falls right about where his heart beats, and just listening to that heartbeat, it's like my heartbeat would match it and calm, and my nervous system would calm, and it just kind of settles because you can't get to a place of healing um, you know, if your nervous system is still anxious and angry and all these things, but Yes, it's possible. Look into writing therapy. There's art therapy. There's music therapy. There's whatever it is because not everybody has the money or the time to go sit down and catch somebody up on their entire life. And we don't all understand ourselves either. But these other different more like expressive therapies, you know, along with having a good support system, whether it be, you know, a spouse or a partner or a parent, a friend, a sibling, whoever, you know, I think that's really important just to have those people remind you that you are lovable and you are worth something. Because until you start to believe it, you need somebody feeding that positivity into you. Oh, my gosh. I'm, like, tearing up. You've just been so sweet. I think for me, I know for me, I think of my husband and my two boys, and also um, I always, people always say, how do I do so much? I pick it up and I put it down, so I don't always think about the trauma of what I've been through, and using the show has been great, but I also have to put it down, and I I go and make wedding cakes. And I get excited for just making wedding cakes. And so I just think that's the biggest takeaway is that, you, yeah, you have to find a different thing to focus on and not always focus on 
on your hurt because there's so many other things. And if you do focus on it, it will consume you and it will cause all the physical and emotional, mental illnesses that we've just described. This has been a wonderful evening. Marty would so love you. And I have to do, Marty used to make me do, she called it the glory hogs, a hog report. And so I see this little button and this is, this is in honor of you, Marty. <laughs> Marty just loved to do that. Whenever she, whenever these kind of people came up, she'd hit this little oink noise, and that's what they are. They just want all the glory for themselves. <laughs> type of people, and definitely, this is an awesome book. Everybody needs to get it. I can't wait to hear about the new books that are coming out, and I hope they will oh. come back and tell us all about it. And we are I would love time. to. Thank you so much. Everyone have a great night. Good night. Good night, everybody. Thank you.